Child podcast. This is the show that equips adoptive and foster parents with information from experts in the fields of trauma and attachment. Our hope is that with every episode, you will find helpful insights and practical parenting tips. My name is Kristen Wynn Reyes, and I am your host today. Do you have a child who joined your family through adoption, foster care, or perhaps a kinship placement? If yes, you're listening to the right podcast. And today I'm delighted to welcome our guest, Katherine Warner, on the Safe and Sound Protocol. She is a private therapist in the Bay Area and believes that habits formed to survive difficult childhood may still be wreaking havoc in our lives. She empathizes with how many may feel overwhelmed in parenting. She works closely with clients on communication skills, personal awareness, and nervous system regulation in order to stay calm and effective during conflict, difficult conversations, and life transitions. Her background has given her experience working as a behavioral coach and as a therapist. She's worked with incarcerated and probation youth and also women in recovery, plus lots of different populations. She currently sees teens, individuals, and couples, including stuck relationship patterns, including working on stuck relationship patterns, depression, anxiety, trauma, PTSD, OCD, and parenting and co-parenting issues. So we're excited to have you today, Catherine, to talk with us about the Safe and Sound Protocol. Thank you. Thank you for the very welcoming introduction. You are so welcome. And can you add anything else by way of introducing yourself and maybe share a little bit more about why you're so passionate about the Safe and Sound Protocol? Sure. I also have a background in education from teaching preschool all the way through high school. And that's kind of what got me interested in working with young adults and teens and children. So that's the only other thing I would add to my background. Yeah, that's actually what formally led me to counseling. Nice. Okay. And now share with us kind of how you discovered what makes you feel so passionate about the safe and sound protocol that we're going to talk about more today. Sure. So I actually came to it as a client. So I was working with my own therapist who is a somatic based therapist on my own PTSD and PTSD symptoms. And at a certain point, she told me about the Safe and Sound Protocol and asked if I would like to try it. So we began working with the listening program. And I have to say, I'm not always the best client. <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of like doctors who, you know, never go see the doctor. I was having a hard time getting going with the program. And then I decided after about a year of start and stop with the program to just go ahead and do the training myself. Because I was interested in it. I wasn't getting the traction with it. So I decided to do the training. And then from there, I decided to do the program myself more in earnest. So at the same time that I was rolling it out for my clients, I was a client myself and really diving into the listening. And I started noticing really huge gains the first time that I did the listening program for myself. And in parallel, I was seeing huge gains for my clients. Like, wow. So then I did the program a couple of more times in this year. So I got trained in February in the program and this year have done three different listening sessions. And we can talk a little bit more about how the listening sessions are set up. But basically, I came to this work, you know, for myself to heal more around my own trauma. Okay, well, thank you for sharing that. I know that can be reassuring to know that you have a background in trauma, you know, unfortunately. 
but <laughs> that you also bring that wisdom, that experience, that expertise and personal piece to the training or the safe and sound protocol use is very powerful, I think. Many of the families we serve have children who've joined their family through foster care, a kinship or relative placement, or through adoption, and are often seeking ways to have healthier attachment or to address early childhood trauma. And how might the Safe and Sound Protocol be a resource for our families, for us? That's a really great question, and there's a couple of different ways that I've found how the Safe and Sound Protocol can really help with a trauma background. One is nervous system regulation. That's the main impact of the listening program. Oftentimes when we have trauma, there's a lot of dysregulation in the nervous system. And that's actually one of the big symptoms of PTSD. So I can just share a little bit from my own story. I remember one of the things I said to my therapist about my PTSD symptoms were, for example, there's like a really sharp corner in our home. And at the time, my partner was coming around the corner and it startled me so bad. I just screamed at the top of my lungs. It was like an overreactive response to him just kind of surprising me coming around the corner. And things like that would happen pretty frequently. And when I told my therapist, she's like, you know, your nervous system is highly engaged. You, you know, you're, you're scanning the environment for danger. So that kind of clued her in that I had a lot of nervous system dysregulation. So again, that's something we can often see in kids with trauma or trauma backgrounds or attachment issues. They may have a harder time self-regulating. So one of the ways that the Safe and Sound Protocol works is it's working on the vagus nerve and it's working on different regulation states. And what it's really trying to do is help you activate the social engagement system or the ventral part of your nervous system. So there's three kind of main states, ventral, sympathetic, and dorsal. And you can kind of think of these states as like a ladder. And we're always moving through these states throughout the day in different situations. And we want to have a very resilient nervous system. We want to be able to respond when danger is present. That's what our nervous system is designed for, but we don't want it to be on all the time. And so sometimes it can get kind of stuck in that on position where we're just scanning for danger everywhere. And you might see that with kids too. You know, sometimes there's hypervigilance about everything from facial expressions to tone of voice. And there might be some hypersensitivity because that's part of our attachment system. We're scanning people's faces to see, are they safe? Is it safe to connect? Same with voice. Tone of voice is really huge too. And this comes up a lot in my work, especially with couples. They're very attuned to each other's tone of voice. You know, the way you said that to me, you know, was so like mean. So it's the same with kids too. They can be very tuned in to tone of voice. And so Safe and Sound Protocol is actually working on vocal prosody. And it's engaging the inner ear so that the inner ear can hear cues of safety. So that would be like mimicking the sound of a mother's voice. You know, and maybe that's something that a lot of young people with a PTSD background, maybe they didn't get, you know, maybe there wasn't safety in the home or maybe the tone of voice was not a safe, calm one. So it's kind of retraining the brain and the inner ear to pick up more on cues of safety. So like a gentle voice, gentle prosody in the voice. So that's kind of a long-winded answer, but that's one of the ways that the Safe and Sound Protocol works. Yes. Okay. 
And that seems to make some sense. And what is some of the science? I know you talked a little bit about the system, but what is some of the science behind this safe and sound protocol? And why might this be a helpful therapy or strategy for our families to explore? There's a lot of good science and I'll do my best um, (laughs) to talk about it. But if you really want to dive into the science more, I, I would encourage your listeners to check out Stephen Porges and his work. So he created the Safe and Sound Protocol model. And he talks a lot. He has a you know, website and several books if you really want to dive into it. But basically, my understanding from the training is that when we have trauma, the inner ear can actually go slack. So it makes it harder for us to pick up on those vocal cues of safety. And so over time, as you're listening to this music on headphones that's filtered in a very specific way, your inner ear is kind of tightening up. It doesn't have as much slack, so you're able to pick up on greater cues of of safety. So that's one way. It's kind of working the inner ear, and that is part of the vagus nerve. And you can get at the vagus nerve from a lot of different ways because the vagus nerve is a huge nerve that runs from, like, the base of our spine into our our face, our jaw, throat, all the way through the chest down to the gut. So there's a lot of practices that you can do. Even yoga, some yoga practices and yoga poses can stimulate the vagus nerve through the gut. But we can also stimulate it through the inner ear. So, again, the music is filtered very specifically, and it's building from hour one to hour five because it's a five-hour listening program. So you'd have to check out Stephen Burgess and his work to understand how the music is filtered in that way to stimulate the inner ear, but it does. And so over the course of the five hours, you're, you're going to be taken on this, this musical journey, auditory journey, to increasing the tone in the inner ear. And that's going to make you have a more regulated nervous system. I know it sounds magical, like just listen to this person, <laughs> but it is kind of magical, really. Um, that's kind of the beauty of the program is you start off and in the beginning, you can have some things come up at the beginning because if you think about it, you're kind of working your inner ear like a muscle. You know, if you start working out for the first time, you're going to be a little sore or a little crabby after a hard workout or whatever. So sometimes... I can see with my clients more fatigue, more agitation in the very beginning. But if we kind of work through that and if we go slow, by hours three, that's usually gone. And by hours four and five, you're starting to notice really huge gains. So it's kind of this journey. So you have to kind of be patient with the process. We can talk a little bit more about the five hours themselves, but... I hope that answers. Yes, yeah. And I had asked uh, Catherine to do like bite-sized science today. So that's 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 perfect. (laughs) We love getting to the magical and the practical. How can we really apply this with our kiddos and ourselves and have some healing and some hope? You mentioned five hours. So yeah, I'm curious, does that mean you sit down for five hours and do this? Or as you talked about, is it little bits at a time, a journey? That's a great question. So when I first started, I was trying to kind of get through the program quickly. And then when I did the training myself, one of the instructors said, you know, you can do just 10 to 15 minutes at a time. And I was like, oh, well, then that's how I'm going to get through the program. So that's actually how I deliver it to my clients very slowly. So we start off with just 10 minutes 
for two days in a row, and then we take the third day off just to give your nervous system a little chance to integrate and take a break. So we do just 10 minutes, and then that gives us a chance to also see how they're responding. Because again, some people can get really tired. So I can give you an example. I had a teenage client, and I told her, let's just start slow, start with 10 minutes. Well, she was really ambitious, and she did 30 and then she told me, I'm so tired. I was so tired after that. Like, well, that was like a really intense workout for your inner ear. So let's go back to 10 minutes and just build up to it. So I know everyone's got really busy schedules and busy lives. So I like to think about it as, you know, do it at the beginning of the day to kind of set the tone for your day, just 10 minutes, or do it at the end of the day as you're winding down and getting ready to go to bed. That's pretty doable than just like spending five hours on a weekend or whatever, that's going to be too much for your nervous system anyway. So we can spread it out. And if you miss a day here or there, that's okay too. We're, it's just, we want to have that consistency. So we get through the five hours. Okay. And I'm visualizing is someone playing it on their Alexa or their speakers or in their earbuds and you know, how might someone access this safe and sound protocol in our region in the Bay area? That's a really great question because there are some specifics to how you listen. So because the music is filtered in a really specific way, we can't use AirPods and you can't have it coming off a speaker. You need to use what they call over-the-ear headphones like these. So it needs to be like a snug fit over both ears. Okay. You want to listen to it only through those types of headphones. And if they have a noise canceling feature, you want to turn that off because we really want to get, you know, the absorption of the filtered music. So we don't want to have other ambient noise in the background. Like if you are listening to it on a speaker or whatever, you want to really saturate your ears with the filtered music. So it is really important that people have this type of headphones. And if people need them, there's on the website for the Safe and Sound Protocol, they sell actually kid-sized ones. So they're a little bit smaller, which is nice because sometimes the adult-sized headphones are a little too big. I actually have a really small head, so I can use this. <laughs> but yeah, that is important that you do have the right type of headphones. And then from there, there is an app, and the program is called My Unite SSP, and you would download the app and then the practitioner, so that would be myself, would set you up in a portal. And so on the back end, I would be giving you remote access so that you could go into the app and set up your listening time. And so when you get into the app, they'll give you an option of how many minutes you want to listen. It'll say like hour one. And then you can toggle the little switch over and say 10 minutes. We're going to do a 10 minute listening session. And then you start, and it will also give you a volume test. So that's another important thing. We want the volume to be as low as possible because we do want our inner ear to be working hard, working hard to hear the filtered music. So I usually just keep it at the test volume setting. There's like a default setting. I, I believe 25 is the setting. I usually just keep it around there. If it's really, really hard for you to hear, you can go up a little bit more, but we don't want it blasting. When I first started, it was a little frustrating because I like to listen to my music really loud, like in the car. Uh -huh. So I had this inclination, like, it's so soft. I can't hear it. I got to turn it up. Then I realized, you know, that's not really allowing my inner ear 
to work out that slack. You know, I want to be a little bit strained to hear the music so that the vagus nerve, that tone in the inner ear is working hard. Because that's what you're doing. You're retraining that inner ear. So that's just another important note that we do want to make sure we follow these things so that we're getting the full experience. Okay. And then it sounds like you would be doing this in partnership with your therapist. It would be someone who's certified in the safe and sound protocol working with you. And then I'm trying to visualize. So we are so used to doing things with audio in the background, like listening to a podcast or the radio while we drive. Is this something that you're giving your full undivided attention to when you do it? Or how does that work? That's such a great question. And yes, there's this tendency to want to multitask. And I've had clients say to me, I was going to listen to it in my car. I'm like, no, no, don't do that. So we want to really give a dedicated time and space. And for kids, what I like to do, because it can be hard to sit still for the 10 or 15 minutes that you're listening, I like to have them color. They can either draw or doodle or do like a coloring book, or they can do a puzzle. And another important thing is to have some co-regulation. So I do recommend having a parent or guardian close by so that they're either sitting with them, doing the puzzle together, drawing and doodling with them. Maybe they're listening on their own headphones and they're doing this program together. We can talk about that too, because that's actually how I have my couples do this program. But yes, you do want to make it a really dedicated time. And I always tell my teen clients, don't be scrolling on social media while you're listening. Just make it a very quiet, intentional time. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds maybe like the hardest part. It's so counter to what we're used to these days. Like I'm thinking I want to do the dishes or I need to get something else done at the same time. (laughs) No, we want to just give it as much space as possible because the other thing we're doing is we're learning to regulate our nervous system and we all have such busy lives and schedules that we don't want to bring that sympathetic nervous system energy to the listening. We want to train not just our inner ears, but our whole nervous system to relax, to go into parasympathetic nervous system mode. That's rest and digest. So we want to be sending signals to the body like, and now we're going to have some calm and we're going to listen to this soothing music. So yeah, we don't want to be doing other things while we're listening. Okay. And you said you wanted to talk more about how a parent and a child or a family might do this together. Yeah, that's kind of the beauty of it is that it doesn't have to be just one person listening, although you can absolutely do it that way. But as a parent, I had a lot of nervous system dysregulation and that made me sometimes a frustrated or impatient parent. And so this really helped me have more regulation in my own body, in my own nervous system so that I could come to parenting in a more grounded way, more regulated way. So I think if parents want to join in, it's great. You know, we would just set up two accounts. So you you would have to have two phones so that you have the app running for each person. I haven't figured out a way to set it up on one app. So you would each have to have your headphones plugged in to the phone, accessing your link to the portal, to the app, But you can be listening at the same time. So like mom or dad could put on their headphones and do their 10 minutes at the same time as the child. And they could be, you know, doing Play-Doh or coloring or doing a puzzle together. That's very co-regulating while they're listening. We just don't want talking or engagement. It's just kind of quiet time while you listen together. 
And that can do wonders, I think, for the parent-child relationship because you're learning to regulate together at the same time. And the parents walk away like, oh, wow, I'm way more grounded and regulated too. So it's kind of a win-win. So I hope that answers. Yes, it sounds really exciting and hopeful. I'm thinking, yeah, because we have a lot of family that we know our kiddos need help regulating, so they need that co-regulation. But then when you're parenting kids from hard places, it's really easy to get triggered or, you know, have to discover our own work that we need to heal from our own journey. And so this sounds like a great tool to figure out how to co-regulate together and be tending to each other in the relationship. Yeah. You know, we're wired actually for co-regulation. It's kind of a biological imperative for us. And so you wouldn't want to just kind of set your child up with it and then go in the other room. You know, you do want to be close by, even if you're not doing the listening program yourself, just be really close by because we're creating safety. And that's the important kind of takeaway is that safety is not a cognitive experience. It's an embodied experience. And we want our kids to experience. And sometimes maybe for the first time, this would be experiencing safety in their bodies. You know what I mean? Like maybe they've been in such a heightened state for so long from their trauma or their experiences. This might be their first signal of safety in their body, which is huge. And so we want to be close by and regulating, co-regulating with them as they go through the five hours. Yes. And I know several families have children that disassociate Mm -hmm. and it sounds like this might be another tool to kind of help them embody and be more present in their bodies too. There are some contraindications um, that I can share more. If families want to reach out, there are some areas where we want to be careful, but By and large, yes. I mean, if this is going to bring you into more into your body, it's going to encourage you to drop into the body. And sometimes those disassociated states are, you know, they're kind of leaving their body, so to speak. So it can help with embodiment and groundedness. Yeah, we can kind of take that on a case-by-case basis. Like if there's a lot of disassociation, we want to be careful and go slow, but it can help with embodiment. As we wrap up our conversation, are there any last practical strategies, any stories, anything you'd like to share with our parents about the Safe and Sound Protocol? I could share a couple of quick anecdotal stories just about success that I've seen with my clients. And I also want to say I do a lot of work with couples. That's kind of a big part of my practice right now. And I have couples do this together. And it's really wonderful to see how it bonds couples and helps them soothe their nervous systems. I I set it up the same way I would for parent-child where they do a puzzle together. They listen at the same time on their own app and their own headphones. Very nice for couples too. So I can share, I've worked in a school, it's a therapeutic day school for kids who are on the spectrum. I had a client who was really addicted to his phone. He could not get through the day without constantly being on his phone. The parents were kind of at their wits end. So I asked him if he wanted to do the safe and sound protocol and he was open to it. And so Over the course of his listening time, I saw him go from being totally withdrawn, isolated from peers, to being socially engaged, making eye contact, you know, deciding of his own accord that he wanted to do certain activities on campus, laughing and making jokes, you know. His social engagement system changed over the course of his listening time, and he was able to put his phone away. We would set timers. 
he would take up to 20 or 30 minutes away from his phone, which was huge for him because mm-hmm. he used to not be able to get through the day without just constantly being on his phone. So I found that to be a huge success. He's doing really well. He's more self-motivated. He's more confident because it's working on that social engagement. Another example, and it might sound like a strange one, but um, I had a client adult who had really bad road rage. And we did the safe and sound protocol. And he told me, Catherine, I know it's working because I can sit at a red light and not get really angry and not curse at other drivers. And like, wow, okay, that's a huge gain for that person. And also working on things like the startle reflex. I had another client who was a construction worker. And like me with, you know, someone coming around the corner scaring me, he was like getting startled really easily on the job. And that was kind of a safety hazard for him at work, you know. So we had him do the safe and sound protocol and he was able to calm his nervous system and he wasn't as jumpy, you know, around tools and things at work. So when I hear these things, especially if these have been chronic ongoing incidents for people, I really do credit it to the safe and sound protocol that it's really working on soothing these areas and kind of smoothing out the energy for people. So sometimes the gains we see are subtle and sometimes they're really big. You know, some of our kiddos experience really early childhood trauma or even just the trauma of separation at birth. And so it's pre-verbal, pre-mobile. It sounds like this is a way to get at some of the healing without them being able to articulate the a lot of struggle. The, that's right. The pre-verbal trauma, neglect, abuse. Yeah, we don't have language yet, so we can't really get at it from a cognitive place. We do have to get at it from a nervous system place, and so it can really help with any pre-verbal trauma that we've experienced. If a family is already working with a therapist, does this mean they generally would need to work with an additional therapist to do the safe and sound protocol, or you talk about an app, like how does that work? Basically, if someone is already working with a therapist, I can still be supporting or supplementing that therapy by walking them through the safe and sound protocol. And I can work in tandem with the therapist. You know, we could just do like a release of information to kind of, you know, be able to collaborate as a team. But they would need to work with a clinician who's trained in the safe and sound protocol. So it's not like you can go get the app and just kind of wing it on your own. You do need to be working with a clinician that can deliver it. But I'm happy to work with people if they're already working with a therapist. You know, I can collaborate with that therapist. You know, we get through the five hours of listening together. And another thing I forgot to mention is there are pre and post assessments that you can do in the portal. And that way we can track your progress. So when we start, we can look at things like PTSD symptoms, generalized anxiety symptoms, also sensory processing, because it can actually help a lot with sensory processing disorder. And we look at what the baseline is when we start. And then at the end of the listening, we do post assessments and you can see those numbers change really drastically. So like PTSD symptoms can go down, anxiety symptoms can go down. So we are tracking it that way too, if people want to do the pre and post assessments. Great. Well, Catherine, thank you so much. I know you've shared some really powerful insights and this sounds like a really helpful, practical approach to helping our kiddos and our families heal from trauma and strengthen attachment. So thank you. I know other foster and adoptive parents will have a lot of information from this time and be able to perhaps explore further. And you'll share in the show notes, if you give me any links or any resources you suggest, I can post those so that our listeners can go look and click and explore and get in contact with you as well if they would like. 
Yeah, I would love to share more resources. That sounds great. great. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. This was a lot It of fun. was, and I forgot to mention at the beginning, I used to get to work with Catherine. We both worked in ministry and in teaching together, so it's a real joy to reconnect in this manner as we're in this other phase of life as well and profession. So thank you again, Catherine. We hope that you found helpful insights and practical parenting tips from your time with us. See you next time.